0: and uh that you'll fall more in love with god more in love with his word and more in love with people it is good to see each and every one of you this morning and uh man the lord has brought the rain amen and uh it's good to be in god's house i do want to uh say it's good to see amber amber Wolkowski and chris uh praise the lord amber i'm glad you seem to be feeling better and uh First of all, somebody, Amber, give a wave so that everybody sees you. She's like, please don't point me out. Thank you. I now have a headache. All right. But uh, I will tell you uh, if you know this story, it's a miracle. It's a miracle that uh, she and her husband are expecting uh, their first child. And I'll not go into all that, but let's give God some glory on that. And uh, He is good. And Chris, quit poisoning her with food, okay? Uh, I also want to uh, welcome uh, the Reverend Daryl Owens and uh, Becca and Logan and Josiah. Daryl, many of you saw Daryl's face on the screen. He looks better in person. Uh, He's like, what? Yeah, looks better in person. And anyway, um, so sorry you couldn't be with us on Wednesday, but thankful that you guys made it. I know your wife is thankful that you guys made it here safely. I also want to ask you to do one thing for me. I know I've been asking you to do this. Please keep praying for the Witkowski family. Uh, Peter Witkowski is the pastor out in Amosville Amosville Baptist Church and his dear wife April. uh, They have moved her into hospice care and so I would ask that you pray for them during this time and their three little children and uh, certainly it appears as if the Lord is going to be calling her home soon. So, uh, in in spite of all, please pray for Peter. Uh, He put out what a beautiful message. Uh, Krista and I read it, and uh, this guy is a wordsmith. And and the the message that he put out the other day, uh, just he's been keeping people informed of what's going on, was just such an encouragement in the face of such devastating news. Uh, with his wife's sickness and uh, just something that uh, I know that he would appreciate our prayers. Uh, If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 16. We're going to kind of walk through a number of passages, but as we start this morning, I want to say thank you again to those of you who were able to uh, be here on Wednesday night. I can tell you it was a wonderful service and a wonderful reception that we had as we celebrated what the Lord has done and what he continues to do in the life of uh, the Reverend Travis Owens. In fact, what's funny is uh, on Thursday morning, I came into the office and I, and I said, Reverend, I need to see you. And he said, uh, it's Bishop. <laughs> I was like, what are we doing, man? He said, it's Bishop. He said, you know, like Bishop T.D. Jakes, I'm Bishop T.E. Owens. And uh, <laughs> uh, you know, these these guys, man, they keep me on my toes, but. Man, can we just say what a Savior it is that we serve, amen? And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm grateful, yeah, I'm grateful that God, watch this, I'm grateful that God takes our messes, watch it, He takes our messes and He turns them around and He uses our messes for His glory and His honor. And I'm very, very thankful for the time that we had this past week, and I can assure you that no matter what is going on, God is bigger than our circumstances. He's bigger than our problems, amen? And He's always in control. That's, what, that's the good news about having a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. We can be assured that He is in control. He's not abdicated His throne one bit. And uh, we can take joy in that. He's good. He's the giver of good and perfect gifts. That's what the Bible says, Amen. And uh, I will tell you, I also had the opportunity, so we had Wednesday night, and then Friday I made my way out, and I see uh, uh, Scott and Sandy and the rest of the family uh, had the opportunity to uh, officiate Ryan and Julia's wedding, and uh, what a beautiful occasion that was, and thankfully it was not too hot, uh, but we had a great time on Friday, and so... uh, I'm thankful for the time that we had. Listen, when we began this series of superheroes, I mentioned a so-called media post that I had seen where where it was asking, in fact, I'll just give it up. I think it was Andrew Taylor's media post through his mom, uh, put a media post about uh, who was our favorite superhero. And we went through, you may recall, there were names that were listed, and it was kind of a a, a multi multiple-choice question, and there were names like Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, Iron Man, Captain America, and you name it. And then there were people who I remember put other names on that post as we were kind of taking that poll, so to speak. In the world of make-believe, I think it's okay to think about and enjoy movies and, and uh, enjoy even the victories of these fictitious heroes, but We have spent the last six weeks looking at what God's Word has to say about superheroes. And literally the only superhero that's really worth talking about in his name is who? Yeah, he's the ultimate superhero. And because of everything else, everything rises and falls on him. And so he's the ultimate superhero. But we talked about Jesus. We talked about the woman of Shunem. We talked about Noah. uh, Missionary came in, talked about Abraham. We talked about... um, um, the power, in fact, at the end of May, we talked about the power of Jesus' love and actually looked more specifically at the power of His love. And then last week, we looked at uh, some servants of the Most High God. We looked at Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, a.k.a. Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so we looked at those kind of uh, individuals who were known, so to speak, as superheroes, not because they were super, but because their God is super. Amen. And so uh, what we didn't talk about, though, is the opposition. What stood in opposition of these ones that we talked about in Scripture? What, we, did, we talked about various times and seasons of wickedness and evil, but what was the real opposition that these ones in Scripture faced in becoming so-called superheroes? In the make-believe world, I had to get some assistance from Logan. Thank you for helping me out. But in the make-believe world, superheroes have always faced opposition you think about batman batman faced the joker two-face penguin riddler and bane you think about superman superman always had to face who yeah lex Luthor. you can say it lex luther spider-man had to deal with the green goblin and goblin and venom think about iron man I, i'll be honest I, I i really didn't remember this ultron And uh, he faced Ultron. Captain America battled against Winter Soldier and Red Skull. My point is this, that without opposition, the stories of those make-believe characters, they don't seem so super and they don't seem so heroic, do they? And yet in Scripture we find that the same is true. When we look through the battles that people face from time to time and the opposition that they had to face... It's incredible that we see that God was able to work even in those circumstances. And such is the case with our story, kind of our outline this morning. And the outline is uh, surrounding the prophet named Elijah. And his greatest opposition of evil and wickedness that Elijah faced was an evil king named Ahab and his wife. Anybody know her name? Yeah, it's not a name uh, that you hear at a lot of baby dedication services. Like, yes, we're up here, we'd like to dedicate our daughter Jezebel. Never heard that, never happened. By the way, one dictionary says that the name Jezebel is defined as a woman, watch it, as a woman who is regarded as evil. This is how they define the name Jezebel. As a woman who is regarded as evil, scheming or shameless. Speaks of the name Jezebel as as someone who is immoral, an immoral woman. Her husband's name, Ahab. Remember, Ahab's the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. His name simply means brother-father. But to really understand the story that we're going to look at very quickly this morning, I need to tell you a little bit about Jezebel's background and Jezebel's dad. Anybody remember what Jezebel's father's name was? His name was Ethbaal, okay, and uh, he's the king of Tyre. He later becomes known as the king of the Sidonians and uh, Sidon is a Phoenician city along the coast the Mediterranean coast and, and the reality is they dominated they dominated the area at that time but this guy Ethbaal he wanted to really his goal was to take over the known world at that time but there was someone there was a group of people standing in his way it was the nation of Israel The reality is Israel stood in his way and so Israel has this strong military presence. They have the hand of God and it seems to Ethbel that every time he turns around, God is protecting or allowing Israel to win when they're faced with wars and conflict. And so he comes up with another plan. He says, guess what? I'm going to make an alliance with Israel. And so it's really that old adage, you know, keep your friends close and keep your enemies closer. And so he comes to this idea that he's going to seek an alliance with Israel. And so uh, what he does, he seals this alliance by giving his daughter Jezebel to marry King Ahab. And while everything looks okay from outward appearance, the reality is that this guy only has one goal. And his one goal is to take over the known world. And so what he's going to do for Israel, the goal is to try to get them to turn away from serving the one true God and to get them to start serving false gods and idols. And guess who the Trojan horse is? The Trojan horse, so to speak, is his daughter, Jezebel. And so the reality is if she can get Ahab, the king, to turn away from worshiping God, if she can get the king and by association all the people to turn away from worshiping God to turn to false gods. You know, the Phoenicians had a lot of gods based on kind of this Herculean idea of gods, little g. If they can get them to turn from worshiping God to worshiping the Phoenician gods and to start idol worship, then guess what? he believes that God will then take his hand of protection off of Israel he'll be able to go to battle and conquer Israel so with that being said let's pick up look at 1 kings chapter 16 1 kings chapter 16 and draw your attention with me we're going to start reading the story here in verse in verse 29 in verse 29 of our text and notice what the scripture says. It says, And in the thirty and eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab the son of Omri to reign in Israel. And Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab the son the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that went before him. And it came to pass, notice this, and it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Naboth, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Now you notice right away in verse number 29, it says that, uh, that uh, Ahab reigns for 22 years. So he has enough time to do a little bit of damage. But then when you get to verse number 30, it says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord above all. In other words, he does more evil than all the kings that come before him. And so this is a wicked dude already. He's not already right. He's not right with God. And so he makes this uh, this decision. He marries Jezebel. He comes into alliance with her father, Ethbal. And he, as if he didn't even understand the ramifications of his dad, Omri's evil decisions. He literally becomes harder than all the other predecessors before him. The Bible says that not only was he evil, but he quickly begins, watch, worshiping worshiping Baal and serving these false idols of his wife. By the way, that's why God warned Solomon not to take... Wives from other countries, because see, God was saying, Solomon, if you take these women who do not see things the way you see them do, they will change your heart, and very quickly you'll be serving other gods. And so, this was a warning that was given. Look at verse number 32. Verse 32 says that he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. So, within the boundaries of this nation of Israel, the area of Samaria, Ahab now builds a temple for Baal, and he begins to worship Baal. And so what you can see very quickly is that Ethbal and Jezebel's plans are starting to come into fruition very, very quickly. It doesn't take a lot of time. Look at verse number 33. In verse number 33, the Bible says, and Ahab made a grove. So not only does he make a temple, it says he made a grove. Uh, In other words, a grove is another place for idol worship, where they would put an idol in the midst of kind of a wooded area, and this would be a place where people would go to worship idols. And so he makes this grove, and it says, Ahab did more, not... Not even worse than the others, but it says he did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. And so because he's wicked, because he's turning the heart of the people of God away from the Lord, and because he's the, worshiping the false God of Baal and now sacrificing the idols, God is going to judge him. That's the reality of the short version of the story, is that he marries Jezebel. He quickly builds a temple. He quickly sets up this grove. Idol worship is running rampant. And so God is going to judge Ahab. And so then you get to chapter 17. Look with me and read in chapter 17, verse number 1. And the Bible says, Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, Before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years. Now what we know right away is that it ends up being three years. Can you imagine three years with no rain? He says, there's not going to be rain for these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he, Elijah, went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. Verse number 6, and the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening and he drank of the brook. But look at verse 7, and it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land and so in this passage what we see is elijah goes to ahab he tells him because of his sin and wickedness that god is going to judge him and that judgment comes in the form of no rain and we see that it's going to last for three years in the beginning we see look there it says that the ravens bring food in order to sustain elijah look down at verse number seven the brook uh uh dries up and and so because the brook dries up if we read on the reality is that god then sends. Elijah you know the rest of the story he sends him to this widow of Zarephath and he goes to the widow and the widow she's ready to she's got a little bit of uh, a little bit of flour so to speak she has a little bit of oil and and Elijah says give me something to drink she gives him something to drink and afterward he says hey by the way why don't you make me a cake and she says no 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 you don't understand I only have enough for me and my son we're going to eat this little cake and then we're going to die because of the famine that's taking place and Elijah says listen make me a cake first and here's what I believe he's saying he's saying just do what I say and trust God can I tell you there's going to come a time in our lives where you're going to just have to trust God you're going to you're not going to have enough oil you're not going to have enough flour to make a cake for yourself and you're just going to have to trust God and I believe that's what takes place Elijah says hey just trust me just trust me and trust God Just make me a cake and do what I'm telling you. And so God uses this widow to feed him. And the sad thing is, uh, the, the reality is she does exactly what he says. But soon after, you know the rest of the story, her son dies. And so she's like, what is all of this? What did you do this for? Did you bring this to bring out my wickedness? Is this all a scheme that God is using to bring out my wickedness? And so you know the rest of the story in chapter 17, that Elijah calls out to God, and God uses Elijah, and the child raises again. God proves his goodness to this woman in that moment. Well, you fast forward, look at chapter 18. Three years have passed since Elijah warns Ahab of God's judgment. Look at the beginning of chapter 18. told you we're going to be moving fast. Look at chapter 18, verse one and following. The Bible says that it came to pass that after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, uh, saying, "Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth." And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. And look at verse 3. We're not going to read the whole passage, but look at verse number 3. It says, And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Now, what I want you to notice is the last part of verse 3. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. So in the midst of a wicked king, in the midst of a wicked queen, you've got Obadiah who's now in in Ahab's house. He's the governor of his house, and yet somehow he has abstained from from all of the idol worship, from all of the worshiping of false gods. And the Bible gives credit, says, and he feared the Lord greatly. And so the reality is uh, Ahab and Obadiah, they go out and they're searching for water and they're, and they're searching for grass in order. They're trying to feed their livestock. They don't even want the livestock to die. But if you drop down to verse number 7, the Bible tells us that as Obadiah is in the way, watch what it says, behold, Elijah met him. And he, Obadiah, knew him and fell on his face and said, Art thou my lord, Elijah? So Elijah confirms his identity, then instructs Obadiah to get go tell Ahab that he's come. Now Obadiah is scared to death. He's like, No, 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 no. It's kind of like Ananias when God tells Ananias to go down to the street which is called straight in Acts chapter 9 to deal with Saul. Uh, uh, Obadiah's like, No, 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 you don't understand. Ahab has been searching for you for three years. He is angry. If I go tell him that you're warning, that you're here, whatever, he's, he's liable to kill me. And so they go back and forth. The, the reality is they go back and forth, they go back and forth. And in essence, Elijah tells Obadiah exactly what he told the widow. He said, Just trust me. Just trust me because God has told me what to do, and I'm going to do what God has told me to do, just like he told the woman. He said, Just trust me. God's got a plan. God is working it all out for his honor and his glory. Just trust me in the face of opposition. Can I tell you today, just trust God. And so this is what happens. And so if you look down to verse number 15, the Bible says, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. Verse 16, So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. So here comes Ahab, angry, Three years, ticked off, no water, no rain. It's a, it's a sad situation. There's famine in the land. And verse number 17, it comes to pass when Ahab, look at it, it's come to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubles Israel? How funny is that? Ahab doesn't recognize that the reason there's no rain is because of his wickedness and evil. He wants to blame Elijah for what happened. You see, because Elijah was the one who communicates what God is going to do. He communicates this, this, this judgment, if you please, the lack of rain. And so God uses Elijah to communicate it. And so Ahab says, hey, you're the one that troubles Israel. And the reality is that it wasn't Elijah's fault, it was Ahab's fault. And the reality it was because of his wicked choices. I say all the time, I've told my kids since they were little, and, I, and you guys have heard me say this, we make choices and choices make us. There comes a time where we have to stop blaming the devil or blaming everybody else. You've got you to take some responsibility, Ahab. You're the one who made the choice to build up that temple to Baal. Well, I married uh, Jezebel, so she made me do it, right? Isn't that... Uh, we always, we've been joking the past couple of weeks about uh, some of you who are a little bit more seasoned in here I won't say old, but seasoned. You probably remember a character on TV years ago that Flip Wilson used to play. Anybody remember? Her name was. And what did Geraldine always say? "The devil made me do it. At some point, we've got to quit blaming the devil. At some point, we've got to take responsibility for our choices. And so Ahab tries to pin the results of his sinfulness on Elijah instead of doing so. Instead of turning away from the false gods and idols that he's worshiping, he literally blames Elijah. You remember last week we were talking about servants of the Most High God. And at the end of the message, I said, here's two thoughts that I want to give you. Don't compromise and don't conform. You remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had an opportunity They had an opportunity to stand up for what was right. And in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel says, listen, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to eat the king's meat. I'm not going to do that. I I want a vegetable and water diet. I'm not going to compromise my beliefs just because everybody else is going along with it. They also remember they were not willing to conform to what the world was doing. Remember the golden image goes up and everybody's bowing down to the golden image. And they said, listen, we're not going to conform to the world. We're going to conform to what God wants us to be. And so this is the situation. The reality is that Ahab is conformed to the world around him. He's conformed to the wishes and the the desires of his wife instead of walking in God's dictates. But notice his bold response in verse number 18. Look at the bold response in verse number 18 of this passage. And he answered and said, I have not troubled Israel. He says, but thou... O oh, king, you're the one that's troubling Israel and thy father's house and that you have forsaken. Notice what he says. You've abandoned, in other words, you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and you've followed Balaam. Verse number 19, Thou therefore send and gather to me all of Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and here's some that we forget, we only talk about the 450 prophets of Baal, but guess what, there's more folks, not only does all Israel get called, you got the 450 prophets of Baal, but now look, and the prophets of the groves, how many? 400 which which eat at Jezebel's table, so here it is, there's about to be a pay-per-view showdown. One prophet, eight hundred and fifty false prophets. You got four hundred and fifty prophets of Baal, four hundred prophets of Asherah. By the way, if you go back to verse, uh, go back over to verse number thirty-three of chapter sixteen. The reality is, Scripture says Ahab made a grove, singular. So from First Kings sixteen thirty-three now to chapter eighteen, he's been a busy bee, hasn't he? you got 400 prophets of these groves, of Asherah, so to speak. And so now you got 400 prophets. You don't need 400 prophets for one grove. So the, it, it, the, the, the point is that there's probably groves all over now that have been set up all throughout Israel for this idol worship. Sounds like America. All kinds of places set up for idol worship all kinds of places to worship false gods. So he's been busy. At any rate, I digress. Look, the nation of Israel gathers together at Mount Carmel to witness the sacrifice showdown, so to speak. If you look at verse um, 23 and 24, notice 23 and 24, Elijah tells all the prophets, okay, let's prepare the sacrifice, and here's the deal. Uh, You're going to call on your gods, and I'll call upon the name of the Lord, And if your God responds, then we'll worship them. But if my God responds, then we worship him. But even before the sacrifice is made, I want to draw your attention look at verse 21. It says that Elijah came unto the people and said, notice what he says. He says, how long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. Remember last week I was sharing what Joshua said in his kind of his farewell address in Joshua chapter 24. Like he said, listen, uh, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, then go ahead and make a choice. You're either going to serve the Lord or you're not. But he said, guess what? I may be on my way out, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. This is similar to what is being said here by Elijah. He's saying, hey guys, you got to make a choice. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve Baal. And so he says it, but look at verse 21, because I love, watch what happens. And the people answered him, what did they say? They didn't didn't say anything. Isn't that what we do? Hey, by the way, before we judge Israel and all these wicked prophets too harshly. Isn't that what we do? God says, hey, make a choice every day. Serve the Lord thy God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, which by the way, you can't do on your own. You need me because I'm the vine, you're the branches. And he says, hey, get up tomorrow and serve me, right? Worship me in spirit and truth. He says, do as I've commanded you to do, right? In God's word, Jesus has set the example. Remember, we talk about a lot of, you know, love one another as I have loved you. I've given you this new commandment and this is how the world's going to know that you're my disciples and we hear these words, we read these words and then guess what? Tomorrow morning we wake up and we have a choice. You say, well, I really don't have a choice. No, you have a choice. You're either going to serve the Lord or you're going to serve someone else and sometimes the one that we serve the most is S-E-L-F. Serve me, myself and I. I'm going to serve, serve what I want today. Hey God, I got it. I got it. You're King. You're on your throne. But guess what? Today I'm going to take the reins for a little while, because I don't feel like walking according to Your Word. I don't feel like listening to what thus saith the Lord. I don't feel like listening to what Pastor Greg said or Pastor Travis or Pastor Larry or anybody else. I don't. I, I just don't feel like it. And so today, Lord, I'm going to serve me myself and I, the Trinity. Me myself and I, little t. we got to make a choice. He says, your God answers, we'll serve him. But if my God answers, we're going to serve him. And so everybody says, okay, this is what we're going to do. By the way, I think it's okay. Sometimes we, we're okay with getting a little helping of Jesus on Sundays. We're like, Pastor, could you please leave us alone Monday through Saturday? We'll check in with you next Sunday or maybe three Sundays from now. It's okay. We'll worship Jesus when we feel like it. This is what Israel was doing. This is why Elijah is saying, listen, why halt you between two opinions? What has gotten into you? You're following a wicked and evil king and a wicked and evil queen. What has gotten into you, America? Quit following the politicians and start following God. Uh Uh-oh, sorry. Quit following this, that, or the other and get back to what God's Word has to say. It's nothing new under the sun. What's funny is, you know the rest of the story, the prophets do, they they prepare their sacrifice and they start calling upon their gods and the reality is they start doing this altar dance. They start doing this altar dance and, and if you know anything about folk religions and animism, they actually start cutting themselves you ever seen that happen in in religions around the world? There are people who will literally cut themselves all around to see if their God will protect them during these sacrificial ceremonies. So they start dancing around, they start jumping around, they start stabbing themselves. And and Elijah, you know, I'm not real proud of his method right here. He starts mocking him. He starts mocking him. He says, "Hey." Maybe, maybe you need to dance harder. Maybe you need to stay, uh, stab yourself harder. Uh, maybe your God's asleep. You might want to wake him up. Does he have an alarm clock? So when it comes time for the evening sacrifice, he lets this go on. He lets it go on throughout the day. But when it comes to the evening sacrifices, Elijah steps forth and he says, it's my turn. It's my turn. Look at verse 33 and 34. He prepares the altar. Look what it says. And he put wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, fill four barrels of water. Watch what's getting ready to take place. And poured on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it the second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. What's going on? What's with all the water? I know theological thinkers, such as you are, you probably think, what is he doing? We're calling on God for some fire. It's not going to be real easy for God to bring the fire when he's soaked everything in water. I believe Elijah wants to see God's power displayed. But I also believe something else is going on. What do you think the most valuable commodity in Israel was at this point? Three years. Not a drop. Remember Elijah was out at the brook Cherith. God said, drink of that brook. It went dry, sent him over to the widow of Zarephath. She feeds him, she takes care of him. Elijah's had to face this famine with just everybody else. And so we got three years of no rain. We got brooks drying up all over the place. And yet Elijah says, go bring me the most valuable thing we have, water. Pour that water out. No, that's not enough. See, we like to think of it like, no, he's just trying to show that God has all kind of great power. I believe he was also offering the most valuable commodity that he could come to. By the way, folks, do you know that the most valuable thing that you and I have to give God today is us? It is in our pocketbook. It is in our talents or abilities. Because guess what? He's the one who gives us those things. He wants us. Remember, he wants to know that we are available for his use. Even in the face of opposition, he wants to use us and he wants to cultivate us in us a great work. And I believe sometimes he's waiting on us many times until we give him that most valuable commodity, our lives, to worship him and to serve him. By the way, God gave his very best for us in the form of his son. Elijah's throwing water on the fire Guess who God sent into the fire? What did Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar see up in that fire? Yeah, he saw a fourth man walking around as unto like the Son of God. Who told him it was Jesus? (laughs) Who told that guy it was Jesus? Oh, listen. God's most valuable commodity that he could offer was Jesus. And he did that willingly for you and for me. look Look at verse 36. Verse 36 and following. The Bible says, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, Let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant. Here's the key. I am thy servant and here's another key. I have done all these things at thy word. I'm not faking. It's not my word. It's not my plan. It's not my way, but it's your way. It's your word and it's your will, God. This is what Elijah is saying. Look at verse 37. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, uh-oh, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is the God. So back in verse number 21, when he says, hey, how long are you gonna halt between two positions? You either serve God or you don't. They said, not a word. Didn't say air a word. Then all of a sudden they see the fire come from heaven. They see the water licked up. They see what's taking place. And Elijah, the servant of God in the face of opposition, is just standing there giving the glory to God. Guess what they say? The Lord, he is the God. Amen. Look at verse 40. And Elijah says unto them, Take the prophets of Baal and not let one of them escape. And they took them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon. And he slew them there. If you read in verse 41 through 46, you'll see how the rain comes. Just as the Lord had told Elijah that the rain would come. Look at 1 Kings 19 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. He should have been telling her all that God had done. He told her all that Elijah had done and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. In other words, Ahab goes home. He goes home to his funny little honey, the wicked and wonderful Jezebel, and he says, we lost. We went out to Mount Carmel, and we lost all of the prophets. None of the prophets could call on any God. But when Elijah set things up, the fire from heaven came down, and we've lost. The saddest thing I think about chapter 19 is verse number 2. Can you show it? Because see, in this moment, Jezebel understands that they've lost. Ahab's told her. What was the plan? You call on your gods. If your gods win, we serve them. Okay. I call on the name of the Lord, and if he answers, then guess what? We serve him, right? Saddest verse of chapter 19. Look. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods due to me and more also if I make not that life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time listen she had an opportunity she had a choice to make in that moment and instead of choosing the right choice instead of making the right decision you know what she does she says i'm all in i'm going to double down I'm going to double down. I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing. I'm going to keep on serving the Phoenician gods. I'm going to keep on serving idols and false gods. And guess what? If you're not dead by tomorrow, I don't know what. The reality is you and I have a choice when we're confronted with our own sin. Jezebel's confronted with her sin just like Ahab was confronted with his sin, just like the northern tribe of Israel had been confronted with their sin. And God had shown up and shown himself strong again. And the reality is we have a choice when we're confronted with our sin. We either turn from it or we can keep doing whatever it is that we think that we should do and what we want to do. But I'm here to tell you, we don't get to heaven on our own. We don't, we don't get there on our good looks, our, our good works, our, our giving, our serving. The only way that we can get there is through Jesus Christ, the righteous. Think about Wednesday. We were asking Travis, the bishop, we were asking the bishop about the righteous and the wicked. And he said, You guys are probably going to, might not see things the way I see it on this. He said, But I believe we're all wicked. And he's right. I do see it like you see it. We're all nothing but filthy rags. Nasty. You ever had a filthy rag? You ever have one of them things that cleans the grill? That thing gets real filthy real quick. I only bring that up because I did it yesterday. (laughs) Got all kind of stuff all over me. We're nothing but filthy rags. The only righteousness that we have is Jesus. So this is kind of crazy. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us if we take the bishop's definition and and i agree wholeheartedly the reality is we can't even do works of righteousness we can't even do works of righteousness because without jesus we have no righteousness to do anything And so this is the the craziness of the situation. Folks, Jesus is the only way, and since Jesus is the only way, and since faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord, ultimately, there's going to come a point and a time that a decision has to be made. And I know without the word of God and without the Spirit of God drawing and doing its work, that decision is not made. I get it. But when the Holy Spirit is moving and drawing, a decision must be made. We're either going to surrender our life to Jesus, place our faith in him for salvation, forgiveness of sin, and serve him. Or like Jezebel, we're going to double down and keep doing what we're doing. If you go on, I would encourage you. This story goes on, by the way. (laughs) It doesn't end in chapter 19. It goes on all the way to 2 Kings chapter 9. Just keep reading it's a great passage of scripture. Just keep reading the story. But the reality is, eventually, God tells Elijah to tell Ab- Ahab that because of his sin, he's going to die. And the reality is, it happens just as God says. He then tells Jeze- uh, Elijah to tell Jezebel that she's going to die. And not only tell Jezebel how, that she's going to die, but tell her how she's going to die. And so, you know, the rest of the, the story Elijah's taken up to heaven, Elisha comes down to replace him as the prophet. Jehu is anointed the king of the northern kingdom, tribes of Israel. And the reality is when he goes to the palace, Jezebel is pushed out the window by her servants. In other words, she dies just like she was told that she was going to die. And the reality is Elijah faces heavy opposition, Ahab and Jezebel, and yet God was with him every step of the way. Folks, I want you to know that God is still serious about sin. Just like he was with Ahab and Jezebel, he's still serious about sin today. And because of this, I can assure you that he's very serious about you and I turning our life over to him. So a few quick thoughts as I close. First thought, God knows. God knows the opposition that you and I face each and every day. He knows He knows the struggles that you face. He knows your physical ailments. He knows the hardships that you will endure, the things the, the valleys that you're going to have to go through. He already knows those. He's well acquainted with those. But I can tell you he'll go with you every step of the way. In chapter 17, remember, before the famine starts, God uses the ravens to feed Elijah. Then he uses the widow of Zarephath. And then we didn't even read it, but when you get to chapter 19, remember Jezebel's going to kill Elijah. And what does Elijah do? He starts pouting. After God's victory on Mount Carmel, he starts pouting and he runs and he hides in a cave. And who was it that fed Elijah exactly what he needed in the cave? It was God. God fed him exactly what he needed. You know what he needed? It was a good old dose of encouragement. He said, Guess what? There's, there's more like you. There's still more like you, Elijah. You're not alone in the fight. Battlefield, you're not alone in the fight. You may get out here on the highway and the byway tomorrow morning and think you're all alone, but there are other faithful, God-fearing believers that are in the fight with you. You can be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Oh, yes, you can because God knows. But I would also say this. God not only knows what you're facing, God cares about what you're facing. The Bible says that we can cast our care on Him because He cares for us. He proved the fact that He cares For us personally through his son Jesus Christ. He proved to Elijah that he cares. Not only did he prove to Elijah that he cares, he proved that he cares for us. Remember, hey, by the way, if you ever get down in the dumps and you get to the point where you think, man, I'm not real sure if God cares, just open up your Bible and read John 3.16. That's one verse you can read over and over. For God so loved the world, the cosmos. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God cares. You think about the psalmist in Psalm 23 and verse number one. Listen, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you go on to verse number four, the psalmist continues on. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Wherever you go, the Lord is with you. He cares for you, and he will be with you. Hebrews 6 and 19 celebrates the fact that Jesus is our hope. He's our hope. He's he's this hope, this anchor, this anchor that we have as a hope. And the one thing I know about the anchor, Jesus Christ, is He is sure and He is steady. He knows, He cares. He cares for you today, sir. He loves you. He knows what you're going through. He's acquainted with your grief, the Bible says. Not only does he know and care, I believe that God wants to work. He wants to work in your life, just like he did in the life of Elijah. In the face of opposition, no matter what you're dealing with this week, tomorrow, the next day, he's working all around us, and sometimes we don't even see him. It's like that song, even when you don't see him, he's working. Even when you don't feel it, he's working. He's working in and around all of us. But the cool thing is he actually wants us to be a part of what he's doing. He's called us to serve him. He worked in and through Elijah's life in the midst of this evil empire. And quite frankly, I believe that God can and he still wants to use you and I. Be gentle here in the face of evil all around us, all around us the question is what will we do with this notion that God knows that he cares and that he wants to work someone has said someone much smarter than I am has said years ago that our greatest ability anybody ever heard this our greatest ability is our availability are you available today right is your vessel clean today are you a vessel that's able to be used by God. You say, well, he used a donkey. He can use whatever he wants. Yeah, I guess. I guess we could have that discussion and pick on the donkey. But I believe he prefers to use holy vessels, clean vessels, meat and made ready for his use. He wants to use you. He wants to work in you and work through you. He cares about you. He knows what you're faced with. So what is the decision that you'll make Will you, will you follow and serve him? Or will you make the choice today to follow and serve some other God, some other idol? The reality is the choice is up to each and every one of us. Would you pray with me today? Father, we, we thank you for the time, God, that we've had in your word. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for the reminder that even in the face of wicked and evil opposition, God, that you used your choice servant just to continue to point people to you. God, that's my desire is that you'd use me to point people to you. God, it's not about us. It's not about the me, myself, and I theory. It's all about you. And so, Lord, I pray that you will, that you will do now what you can only do. God, that you will convict hearts, that you will draw men and women and young people to yourself. God, I pray that if there's somebody in this room that's been playing church, somebody that's heard a lot about Jesus, but for the first time today the word of God spoke to them and the spirit of God is moving in their life and in their heart and drawing them. God, I pray that they would not not disobey the spirit's call, but they would literally be receptive to what you're doing, that they would turn from their wickedness, that they would call upon the name of the Lord. They would ask Jesus to come in and to forgive them, to begin the greatest relationship of all. God, that that would be their desire. And that desire would be consistent with your desire, which I know it is. Lord, maybe there's somebody here today that's struggling, somebody that understands who you are, recognizes who you are, has a relationship with you, but, Lord, maybe they've started to chase after other gods or little idols or even it might be the idol of, of pouting or pity as Elijah did when he went into the cave. I don't know what the situation is, but, Lord, you do. And so, Lord, I pray that your word and your spirit would draw them under yourself where they would remember that it was your fire that fell from heaven, that it was your power that saw the victory on that day. That it's your power that gives us the victory each and every day that we can walk and live in this life for you because of Jesus. Lord, I pray that I pray that you'll draw each and every one of us close to you at this moment. God, I pray that we'll do business with you. Lunch will be ready here in just a few moments. We can go have lunch, we can go have fellowship, we can do everything else. But at this moment, this is a moment of decision just like Jezebel had. The reality is we're either going to choose you or we're going to choose something else. And so, God, I pray that you're honored and that you're glorified during this time of invitation. God, that you would work as only you can. We love you and praise you and thank you for what you've done in the past, what you're doing now, and what you'll do in the days ahead. God, we pray this in the precious and powerful name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake. Amen and amen.